So maybe I should say, welcome to Are You There, Todd? It's me, Taylor. Uh, episode four? <laughs> episode four. I'm sure, why not? I mean, it's, I'm sure if, when you really do the math, it's probably like seven or eight or something, but that's, that's just, it's keeping people on their toes at this juncture. So here's what we should do, though, because I, I, honestly, I like uh, the prankiness of just having different episode numbers and confusing people, but I realize that that is very annoying uh, metadata-wise. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. here's a short explanation, is that one week we recorded two podcasts, episode two, and then we decided to f- do a focused podcast, which we were going to call episode 2.5. Uh, episode two, we had some technical recording glitches with that we thought we could get over, um, but we went ahead and released 2.5 before that as 1.5, <laughs> and then two never materialized. So as this episode, I'm going to retcon everything, <laughs> and we're going to have episode zero, episode 0.5, and then one, two, three, four, and no more 0.5s. Awesome. There we go. <laughs> so that works. now that we've got that on the record, yes. that should appease the Patrick Clarks of the world. That's right. Or, I don't know. I don't actually know if he's grumpy about it. You had some business to talk about, yeah. which is the name. Well, yeah, we've had some new listeners since last week. Some some former colleagues and friends have discovered the show slow, slowly but surely, and are fans of it, but have referred it to me as the Todd and Taylor Show. Um, not, and that's probably because they started listening to it when that was sort of what we were referring to it as, and that's what's on the SoundCloud thing. So this could just be branding more than anything. But it got me thinking. I'm like, it is simpler to just simply say Todd and Taylor Show, and just kind of, it just kind of, it's short. It's it's easy to remember. I I am a fan of Are You There, Todd? It's Me, Taylor. I think that could stick. But it's I wanted to at least pose to you the idea of just. Going, going simple and keeping it that way, or, or are you partial to sort of the name so far? Um, I uh, it, Funny that that would come up because uh, Mr. Patrick Clark, the other fan, who's or my friend, who's tweeted at us several times after he listens to the episodes. He's doing the Lord's work. Um, I know, yeah. He, he gets really upset uh, that I don't think Arrow is any good. But... Um, that, uh, wait, anyway, that, you, he, that you personally don't think Arrow's any good? <laughs> yeah, that was just a trolling comment. I'm just oh, hoping to okay. get him to jump in there. Um, he, uh, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, he, he had tweeted at me about that. He said, just pick a name, damn it. And I said, actually, I just refer to it as the Todd and Taylor show. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, it's like an ongoing, it's like a running gag to keep changing the name. So He was not down with that. So we did get that gotcha. feedback. Like He, gotcha. he doesn't care what, what, what it is but he wants us to pick something. And it's you and I, when we were trying to come up with names, we both sort of said, you know, Todd and Taylor show's okay right now. So that's kind of how we ended up with it yeah. to begin with. I think it, uh, I mean, it's catchy. It's, it's memorable, you know? It, it's very easy. You know what you're getting. It's a show. It has Todd on it. It has Taylor That's on it. right. And we can always initialize and be TNTS, you know, when we want to be really hip and, and you know, meta about it and that kind of stuff too. Um, yeah. I like that. Let's, let's just stick with that for now. Todd and Taylor show in that way. You know, it's it's easy, and we can always have an episode or even like a section eventually titled "Are You There, Todd? It's Me Too." We can save that for a, a special use because I feel like that's. I think we're as we're getting into a groove. I feel like we're getting to a point where we're gonna where we can start titling individual episodes certain things or have you know certain kind of shout-outs titled you know with titles that have come come up in previous discussions. So maybe we just that would be yeah, that'd be great. Let's just stick with that. So so f- from this point on, Patrick. Uh, it is the Todd and Taylor show for for the immediate future, for the near future, for the far future, until 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 better better name comes along, I guess. Cool. Yep. Well, that's, Agreed. That's that. That's that out of the way. Let's start with our uh, previews. Which, 
which were pretty slim pickings this week. Um, I don't know if um, we were just uninspired. You mentioned that you saw Inside Out and that um, you were inundated with previews, so you're, you're kind of burned out yeah. on them. Yeah, inundated with previews for animated movies that all look the same. And that maybe it's just because I'm older and I have been watching a lot of Alejandro Jodorowsky stuff lately, which is completely not kid-friendly at all. But I, it's just kind of like my brain kind of shut down after I was just like, okay, okay, another one. Another one, and that was that's where we are right now. So yeah, I, I, there's not really much, and and to be honest, like we kind of you know we're kind of in the middle of the summer movie season now. So a lot of the stuff we would be previewing is is either happening or has happened, and we're kind of not to that next wave yet of announcing like fall stuff. You, uh, you know, Doctor Who, I'm sure it will be announced soon. Um, some of these fall movies and things will be announced. So there's, I I don't think there's really anything really to to touch on here for once. True, and I'm um yeah I'm I'm. I'm fine with that. I mean, what what are you looking forward to this summer, I should say? Ah. Maybe that's kind of a preview. Yeah, so, I mean, as far as movies go, definitely Mission Impossible. Uh, oh, yeah. Rogue Nation is out there. And and strangely enough, I have I've kind of run into a group of people on io9. I, I thought I was kind of alone alone in the world still liking Mission Impossible movies, but there's a, there's a good chunk of people on io9 who have, today I discovered, are, are just as much fans as I am, you know, Tom Cruise's personal shenanigans withstanding. Like it's 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 one of those movies, and the trailer just makes it look really fun and crazy. And he's doing his crazy, you know, aerial stunt stuff again. And it's, you know, it's got Simon Pegg, and so that's just. And the last one was so good. Like Brad Bird's Ghost Protocol was so good. So I'm definitely it's going to be my one of my highlight movies this summer. And then um, I'm just well now. Surely Bird didn't do this one, right? No, no. So the whole okay. idea with Mission Impossible <clears throat> since the beginning is every one you'll find a different director, so that stylistically it'll have a different feel to it. However, when J.J. Uh, Abrams directed three uh, back in 2006. He stayed on after that as producer. So the, the 2006 and then Ghost Protocol and then it looks like this one all kind of feel like they're part of the same thread. And I think that's largely because of J.J. Abrams and I think they're using a lot of the same crew and stuff. And or As far as I can tell, it just kind of feels it, it's more cohesive that way, even though a different director's kind of navigating the, you know, the details a little bit differently. But... Um, I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm a huge. You know. T- when when you remove the second one from the equation, I I love the franchise, um, and I kind of. I'm kind of waiting for the day when Tom Cruise's character Ethan Hunt becomes the villain, and that's how he exits the the franchise. Because the first one, '96, was so. So the '96 one was based on the TV series. Um, right. And Jim Phelps was in the first movie and actually the, they approached the original guy who played Jim Phelps in the TV series to reprise that role in the movie. I forget that gentleman's name. I apologize. Um, and then he didn't want to be the bad guy, so that's when they brought in John Voight to play Jim Phelps. And then Jim Phelps, spoilers, at, you know, at this juncture, if you haven't seen Mission Impossible, it's you know, what, the first one 20 years ago. Jim Phelps ends up being the bad guy at the very end. And, that's, it's kind of, and it was sort of like one of those, like, <gasps> like how can that be? He was the hero of, this, of the series. So for Ethan Hunt to become the bad guy eventually after all this time is, is kind of a compelling, interesting thing to me. And they've already sort of... You know, Jerry Mander, uh, Jeremy Renner into it, and he he fits in now, and so it's. I feel like there's 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 an ecosystem that can carry on without Tom Cruise if they ever needed it to, um, hmm. but it's kind of become Tom Cruise's only successful vehicle at this juncture too. So I'm sure he's not really ready to to exit yet. Anyway, really looking forward to that, and then obviously, um, I'm looking at probably the end of August, early September, Doctor Who comes back in a major way. So. That's uh, we're just everybody's kind of eagerly awaiting that first big preview or first big announcement teaser trailer kind of thing with all the new footage. Yeah. Um, so no, 
no Terminator Genesis. We established that last yes, week for you. You're correct. not really interested uh, in that. I mean, if 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 some if, if there's a night and I'm just bored and stir crazy and slightly intoxicated or inebriated, then maybe it'll happen. To that. But at this juncture, it's it'll be a it'll be an Amazon rental for sure. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I. I mean, I know it's. I, I'll see it. I will see Ant Man. <laughs> I won't see Terminator, but Ant Man for sure. You know, possibly Fantastic Four. Oh, um, you know what? I am going to see Fantastic Four. I I wasn't wasn't gonna, but then I I keep seeing little recuts of the teaser or the trailer that are compelling to me. The the dude from House of Cards is in it, um, and I. So is Rooney Mara, right? That's yeah. So two House of Cards alumni. Or, um, Wait, not Rooney Mara, Kate Mara. Kate Mara, there I knew who you were talking about. Though. Uh, are they were they related at all? Do they are sisters, as a matter of are fact. Are they really? Yes. They don't look like each other very much, I don't think. Oh, but they do, I think. Really? I think I think so. Rooney Mara and Kate Mara are re- oh, wow. I'll have to go look yeah. that up later. Um, yeah. so yeah, I am looking for I'm I'm not gonna see unless unless Ant Man just blows everybody away and it's Guardians of the Galaxy again and everybody and it's just undeniable then I'll see it but at this juncture that'll probably I'll wait I'll wait for your review first and then <laughs> okay then we'll see. I don't think it's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> but uh, I'm I'm worried man there's I have seen some interesting things Marvel's doing some things they haven't done before in you know, uh, promoting their movies and it I wonder if they're not a little nervous about what what's going to happen like they're you know Kevin Feige is is making a lot of like you know you know, comments to the press and doing a lot of extra sort of interviews where he's trying to like basically justify the movie's existence in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's like that—that that didn't even happen last year with Guardians of the Galaxy. They just kind of let that speak for itself. Man, I wonder how that. I really wonder how Guardians even happened. You know, yeah. like if they, if it just kind of slipped under their radar and then it was they saw how good it was yeah. and it was like, well, there's no denying that that's. I think they just knew it rule. was good. I think they knew it was good early on. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put together that um, that trailer. That Uga Chaka Uga. Yeah. You know, that was sort of like when I saw that. I'm like, oh man, these guys. There, there was a confidence to that marketing campaign that's just like, yeah. uh, I don't see that with Ant Man. I, I kind of see I like a rewash of the Iron Man one campaign, where it's kind of like the same kinds of trailer. Like, go back, go on YouTube when you have a chance. If you're listening, or even you, uh, Todd over national like go to youtube and just go back and like type in like iron man one trailers and it's it's eerily similar hmm. um and i just don't well, know if that's because yeah. they don't know if, what else to do with it or again I, it may be amazing it may be the best the best one they've ever done or the biggest one they've ever done i i, I don't want to second guess them but it feels yeah. a little different uh, yeah i i agree uh, i'm i'm curious how it's gonna how it's gonna fit in there anyway. um <laughs> <laughs> but I like the Angley's Hulk, so uh, you know. <laughs> you poor, poor <laughs> Definitely not the barometer of how the fans will respond to a movie. Um, cool. Well, that, I think that's a pretty good preview wrap. Yeah. If, you know, talking about what we're doing. Let's jump into the candy roller coaster. <laughs> I, by the way, I, I went to an AMC theater for the first time in God a year and a half uh, over the weekend, and I saw it again. It was just like, oh my God! And I'd seen it online too, but like. It was refreshing to finally be like, ah, oh, this is the candy roller coaster. Here it is. And product placement popping up around you as you go. And it's just like, yeah, there it is. And then please turn off your phones. Again. It still has the 80s guitar and the synth music and everything. I love it. They, they must just have that same track. And then just every year they tweak it a little bit with new, you know, new product sponsors and that kind of stuff. Anyway, what, what's on your list this week? 
Well, um, and it's it's funny because we covered this in the lost episode, or I did, and uh, you've got some new stuff this week. So these are the, my picks of stuff. And as you know, um, and maybe eagle-eyed readers of my blog know, that I am on quite a kick of movies in the genre that I refer to as Magic Ninja movies. Magic Ninja, yes. So um, yes. I have, a, I mean... You know, it's one of those things. That's the beauty of Netflix, where you, you some nights you just can't find anything to watch, uh-huh. and then once you watch that one weird movie <laughs> that totally fits your tastes, yep. all of a sudden Netflix has a hundred of them, and you're like, <laughs> "Where have these been?" So, um, first of all, this was not a Netflix movie. My first pick, uh, but I saw it on HBO, so it's on HBO Go right now. Or now, HBO now, yeah, that's the one I have, um, which is Forty Seven Ronin, um, starring Keanu Reeves which uh, claims to be the <laughs> an actual Japanese legend um, about these uh, 47 samurai who lose a master and sort of, you know, wander the countryside and enact revenge for their master um, and uh, uh, restore honor to their, you know, to house, whatever it is. Um, uh, so it's just it, we looked it up when when we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago in in our last episode with, and found out was it the second worst movie <laughs> like it was like this thing lost like hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars it, it wasn't was... it didn't yeah it wasn't even like a, oh we'll make it up in foreign markets or something like this thing got destroyed yeah so, it kind of set Keanu Reeves back was that a, and I forget too is it a Warner Brothers movie because if if it oh, is I don't even remember. But it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I had, um, I had read a review right before. Well, no, sorry, I read a review when the movie was in the theaters, and that review said this thing is like it's gonna die a horrible death mm. in the theater. They just knew like it's not gonna make any money, but it's it's great. It's fantastic. That's how I recall this review. I never got a chance to see it in the theater because it didn't last very long. Um, so when it showed up on HBO, I was very excited. It has um, – Keanu is fantastic in it. Um, he it, it plays uh, – um, I believe they refer to him throughout the movie as the half-breed, mm. which um, you might think is like half Japanese, half American, but mm. it's um, – or half English. Uh, but it's – which is true, except that you also find out that he's also kind of half of this, you know, magic cult of people. Oh. Oh, I didn't know. That. See, I when you said that last time, I only thought that you meant racially half breed. Because I'm like, uh, and I yeah, thought which how, is, which how, that's a little terrible. on the nose. Because Keanu Reeves is sort of, I mean, he straddles ethnicities pretty well, if I recall. His, his, what is he? I think his, he was Canadian, and I think his mother or father was from the Philippines, if I'm not mistaken. So it was kind I, of. <laughs> I was a little. Well, the reason the reason I say this is because when you when you said last week, I was like, "Wow, they're really they're really just going there, aren't they?" Because right, you know. But no, it's we 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 cast that guy because <laughs> of the yes, um, no, but it, yeah. So it's you know it's it, it's just so well done and it's nice. shocking because we also found out when we looked all this stuff up that the the director I guess had wasn't really known for doing anything. I think on IMDb he had one other credit and it was like a you know a like a student film or an indie film or something. Um, but it's just, it's really well done. Like that, that part of it, of the plot is not overplayed. Um, you just get hints. I mean, you're, you just understand, well, you know, there's, there's a subtext there, which is that he's, he's part of this kind of secret group that, you know, is he one of the 47 Ronin? Uh, is he number yeah, 44? They don't, they, it's, 
they, they, um, there's only sort of, there's nothing in the movie, you know, in the dialogue, in the text, you would say, um, that talks about the number 47. So there's no, like, magic number there. It oh, just happens okay. that there are these 47 that um, uh, the emperor, of course, has, has ordered them not to uh, seek revenge uh, on this, uh, okay. this other, you know, house, the clan that's uh, wronged them, and they do. So... Um, there's there's only one moment where they're like all signing the roster and and saying you know we're pledging our lives to this cause, and and that's when you're aware that like there's a great number of them there's not like some cheesy scene where they're like there are 46 of us and then all of a sudden Keanu Reeves right. is like Keanu Reeves is like no <laughs> I will also carry like, two swords he signs it like he signs his name the biggest of all he's like Kai and I'm yeah. going down 47 <laughs> it's like well okay <laughs> hey so hey you remember last time and I forget. It, the the trailers I saw, I mean, it looks gorgeous. Like that was the one thing I had yeah, from my standpoint. It had going for it was just that it looked very well designed and shot. There was a lot of magical kind of elements though in it. Are those yes. subtle or are those a crucial part of the storyline? Uh, they are, I would say, crucial. Okay. Um, it is, uh, but it's not overdone. Okay. So yeah, I mean, so it doesn't feel uh, like a video game where you have to like beat bosses exactly. and stuff. It's um. I, you know, and I, I, it's kind of funny that this is sort of the the standard by which to judge things, but it's very Game of Thrones ish in that really? way. You know, wow. when when some magic occurs, it's like, oh, holy shit, we're seeing some magic. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's there's there's sort of a moment of like, but it's also done in this great way where the characters don't necessarily react to it that way. So you're aware that they live in this magical realm mm-hmm. where this is this is something these ronin would run across ah, you know okay so it's Very that's cool. a such a cool experience where it's not where the effect isn't you know kind of trying to blow everything away yeah. you know it's just yeah. it's just the thing that happens that can ha- you know, I, mean, this, I could see in, i could see in this kind of movie that becoming kind of too distracting or too much exactly you know, so i'm glad that that's yeah. not the case i i mean i just i really you know i get that it's a certain type of itch that this kind of movie is going to scratch mm-hmm. but i just loved it it was it, you know it's just i love like big um you know movies like that with just that that widescreen feeling of like there's this huge world that they're walking through mm-hmm. and you know it's just and and that mixture of um what's magical and what's not and the you know the kind of hints of mythical creatures and and magic and dragons and plus there's tons of sword play nice. and it's just like nice. really amazingly choreographed like huge battles i mean just you know like the 47 ronin against hundreds of other samurai is or it, something is and it 300 ish in that re- in regard is there like the slow motion like kind of no. Zack snydery sorts of stuff or is it just is it really is it i mean does it feel like an actual battle that would have actually Man, that's a, that is a good question it is, it is very actual battle and i think um, I think one of the reasons it appeals to me so much is when I was a kid, I went, I, I mean, I went hard on uh, <laughs> so many ninja movies, you mm-hmm. know, American Ninja, one, two, three, whatever, the <laughs> whatever those, like all those Shokusiji uh, movies there were. And, um, you know, I was slightly into Bruce Lee. He was kind of like before my time. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I just, so those, um, oh my God, I wish I, you know, I, I wish I could Google this faster, but the Shokusiji <laughs> movies, um, uh, that I'm trying to recall, this has that same feel of like, this is what I would imagine a Japanese movie, about, you know, w- with, with Samurai is like. Um, Revenge of the Ninja, that's right. Ah, Enter the Ninja, okay. Revenge of the Ninja, and Ninja 3, The Domination. Um, who's also in the Bad News Bears go to Japan? Who knew? <laughs> um, Wait, that, that's were, a thing? 
That's a real thing. <laughs> I guess so. What? That um, was back in the '80s when that you know, that did happen. Like I remember Karate Kid Two was like, well, let's go to Japan now. And like that just kind of <laughs> seemed to be the like when you ran out of storyline, like, well, it's the same. Let's let's go. I am surprised, honestly. I, I'll say this, and I think it's only because it happened in 1992 and not 1988. But we almost we almost probably saw Home Alone Two escape from. Uh, Escape from Osaka or something like that at some point. That would have been amazing. He's just in like a a, a two hundred story like <laughs> luxury hotel, and he thinks he's been left alone, but his parents have just gone to dinner yep. on the ninety seventh yep. floor or something. <laughs> I love it. And somehow, for some <laughs> random reason, Harry and Marv are there too. Just like we escaped the country, Harry. <laughs> it's like we're here. There's that kid. And then all of a sudden, like you know, he's throwing sushi at him and using chopsticks in creative ways. Anyway, what's... Yeah, so, you know, Macaulay, Shokasiji. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it just, it had that feel of like, oh, it's just, it's just so good. It just reminded me of all the good stuff I liked about oh, Samurai movies. Oh, that's So, yeah, I'll, I'll wrap that up and make the next two really quick. So, on that journey, then, the, f- the first one that got me started on this was on Netflix, just randomly recommended a movie called White-Haired Witch to me, oh. which um, mm-hmm. is, uh, I believe... Uh, Chinese, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it, it was uh, a little more magical than um, than Forty Seven Ronin for sure, mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was definitely that um, you know it was a it was a style it was a type of film like a genre that I don't know mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. you know it is this Chinese film it's um, it's it probably fits into a, a whole genre of its own over there that is not called Magic Ninja movies. But I like the sword play. I like the little bits of magic. And like, um, you know, it had a lot of the wire fighting style. Wait, when did this come out? Was it early, like late 90s? Was it? No, no, no. White-Haired Witches last year, 2014. Oh, so it's okay. It's not John Woo or anything, obviously. No, no. Um, I know he didn't invent that style. I just see that's kind of who you normally think of when that that is said. Yeah, it's all, um, I mean, that's, that's just the thing I, <laughs> I think in Chinese movies. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just great. And it's set like sort of in, um, you know, that, that Imperial time, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, the magic in it is besides the sort of, you know, characters able to lift themselves off the ground and sort of fly from one level of a fortress to another and fight. There's really not magic, you know, it's not like a, um, uh, Avengers or something, oh, okay. you know, where there's sure, like, you sure. know, people have superpowers. Um, the uh, titular character, uh, the white haired witch, sort of is sort of, you know, uh, has that moment where she has to call on this dark magic that she's learned and, and really make a choice to use it and kind of demolish her enemies. And um, it was just, it was a very cool movie. I, I watched that like. Uh, 47 Ronin I kind of checked into and checked out of. I, it took me a couple of passes to get through the whole thing. But White-Haired Witch, I was there like the, the whole time. With, so I assume White-Haired Witch is it's obviously all subtitled. Yes. Does, that, is it get, does it get hard to pay attention to that and, I guess, the fighting sequence stuff? Or does it usually happen? I mean, can you, do they force both at you at the same time? What a great question because <laughs> it leads into the next ah. pick, which is in White-Haired Witch um, – it was really well done. Like it was easy to read and keep up with the story mm-hmm. because the story is kind of crazy anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could kind of hit the, the beats of it, you know, the main, the main points and uh, in the subtitles and still not miss the action. 
Um, but then I, I, so because I watched that, Netflix suggested I watch Young Detective D, Rise of the Sea Dragon, mm. <laughs> <laughs> which is another Chinese film, another Magic Ninja movie. Um, and uh, No, wait, Rise of the Sea, that suggests there are other... Detective there D are movies. other Detective D movies which have now shown up in my Netflix ah, queue, so okay. um, I'm very excited about those. But I learned tonight when I Googled it that I guess the the lead actor was replaced. Oh, okay. So was this the first one, or was this further along in this? I thought I thought this was the first one. Um, oh, but well, I can't tell because in the Wikipedia description of it, it calls it a prequel. Um, mm-hmm. Wait, maybe if I find the release date. Oh, yes. So it did come out second but it is a prequel i guess explaining how he um joins the uh the police and wherever they are uh so he it is a uh, opposite of white-haired witch in that the subtitles come very quickly mm-hmm. <laughs> and they are very long there there's tons of story to read and it like flashes by so fast you don't even have a chance to read the whole sentence before the next you know, sentence is appearing. Mm. Um, and this, the storyline is just fucking crazy. <laughs> so it's not like it's, I, this one I, it was even, I mean, 47 Ronin, when I say I checked in and out, it was more like I watched part of it over lunch mm-hmm. and then I watched part of the rest of it that night. Okay. Detective D took me like a week to finish. It's like an hour and a half long. <laughs> so, I, you know, I kind of barely know what the story is. Yeah, I yeah. ended up having, I ended up, you know, going back and rewatching bits of it. But, when it um, so this detective, the character in this, is he's as you might have guessed, a real good detective, um, and he at least at the beginning when he's sort of putting clues together, they do this very cool visual style, which is almost like the um, opening credits to Game of Thrones, where he'll sort of envision the city and he'll see all the buildings sort huh. of rise and where the you know the the oh, crime neat. happened and where the person he's chasing is, and it just it gives it this really cool. Uh, you know, style. No, wait, like when, when did this come out? Is this recent too? 2013. 2013, yeah. okay. And it's, so he, um, then, so then that's, you know, kind of the, f- the first half of it, almost, I would say, are these sort of detective powers, you know, where he's the, he's the outsider and the police force doesn't really, you know, accept him, even though he has this letter of recommendation that none of them can understand, or, you know, how he got it because he's, you know, he's so insubordinate and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then there's just some, you know, uh, uh pretty quickly they find a sea monster which is pretty weird <laughs> and you're like and you're like well i guess that's a sea dragon and it's it's just kind of like a guy in like a swamp thing uh costume and and i remember you know when that happened i was like well you know it's kind of a downer but i like all the other effects that's whatever it's you know it's not it's not supposed to be uh the you know chitari or whatever you know coming down out of the sky um it's just one dude yeah yeah, uh, yeah. but it turns out that's not even the dragon so there's this whole sort of like subplot of this one guy that's gotten infected with this parasite that's turned him into this sea creature, and you know he's in love with the princess from the other clan, and they, you know, it's so that whole detour is kind of strange. Um, they eventually meet up with the you know clan of gangsters who are trying to overthrow the the, the emperor, and um, and then at that point the actual sea dragon makes an appearance, and it is really badass. And all the fighting in that last sort of third of the movie is, inc- I mean, there were just incredible like sword fights of combining s- digital effects and the wire fighting and just mm. these cool shots of, you know, like um, it must have been made for 3D because there's so much like 
head-on action where like a million throwing stars come out of guy and his <laughs> sword sort of multiplies in his hand so that there's 20 swords that can deflect all wow. of the throwing stars and stuff like that. And do you think that's why they? Do you think that's why they threw the the dude in the suit at you at first? Because you're like, oh, well, we'll get your expectations lower. And then we'll show you the dragon for real, and you're, it'll just knock your socks off even more. Or do you think that? Well, it's so weird when you, you, know, when you watch a, a foreign movie that's definitely like in a style. Mm. Um, I, you know, you'll go on one of those detours, and my kind of American instinct is always to go like, well, that's a terrible way to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Like maybe there is sort of a, uh, you know, a mythology that I don't understand, which is like there's always kind of a, you know, a false. But honestly, that's, that's what a detective story is, too. Um, which is there's always like a false conclusion, you know, right in the middle of it. And the detective's like, I wrap things up here. And then That's it gets true, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one, that last third of it was just like thrilling. You know, it was just so awesome. There's a giant sea dragon. There's like this huge battle where ships are getting destroyed. There is a horse that runs on water. I know that's a spoiler, but it's amazing. And uh, it, it just, you know, it went out like the movie went out like in the best possible fashion nice. like i was so oh, that's always satisfying uh, so then are you gonna the watch the rest so. of the d the d saga oh, definitely. when you have a chance i'm definitely gonna watch this uh mystery of the phantom flame which is the, the i think that's the other one that netflix has so and i've since added like a bunch i i've i think we talked about this last time where i've i added a i went through the netflix thing and just was sort of watching 10 minutes of all these Japanese and Chinese movies, establishing that there was actually no magic and then just turning them off. Nice. <laughs> wow. like People would just actually get heads cut off and stuff. And I was like, nope, not for me. <laughs> you know, where's the one where they fly around? And yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I wonder if that's like, if that, if, so. if, much like Mission Impossible, there was like a, uh, a different director. They're like, hey, we're going to go in this direction this time so that they kind of keep it varied. Um, I wonder how that is. And you said, too, there's a different. So is there, how, many, how many do you think there are, like four or five? Uh, of Detective D. Yeah. Well, just given what I read on Wikipedia, I'm guessing there's really only the two. Oh, okay. Because the f- the first one was 2010, um, and uh, the and, and the next one was 2013. Okay. I think that's the first one in 2010. Interesting. Um, I wonder how long it's going to be before they start to like. And, and I I would rather they not adapt stuff for an American audience. I, w- I wish those things just are what they are, and you like them as they are. But I wonder if some producers is it going to be like, hey, you know what we need to do? We live in a bonkers world where Mad Max and, and Kingsman um, both exist and do great business. We should start taking these bonkers Japanese or Chinese or just Asian American or Asian Pacific movies and, and put like, you know, put, I hate to say this, but put white actors, you know, basically Americanize them, but keep the bonkers elements in place. Um, right. You know, well, I, I kind of think that that's what 47 Ronin was sort of doing was, I mean, at least when I so I, I watched it kind of in the middle of, of this, you know, series of movies. Mm-hmm. And, and my impression at the time was, I bet this director is familiar with this sort of style of Japanese uh, movie. Sure. Even, even though these other two are Chinese. And, um, but, you know, this, this is probably how a, a, a magical samurai movie is, is shown in Japan. True, And true. He's, he's turned it into, a, you know, an Americanized version of that. Only, uh, you know... Um, so I, I really wonder if that was if that's why it didn't connect or something. You know, I mean, maybe uh, that was the yeah. failure where you know I, everyone's like, "Ooh, you know, third rail. We're not going to touch yeah. <laughs> that idea for a while." Yeah. And I really hope they don't because, um, you know, I remember when whenever the first like Jackie Chan movie was that really crossed over like Rumble in the Bronx or something, mm-hmm. and it was it was still one of the Hong Kong movies that had been terribly like overdubbed, you know, and <laughs> and and. Uh, 
and and then they subsequently released probably all these other movies that had you know been in the can or like been in the Hong Kong you know theaters before and I just I loved all those and then and then we started getting the American versions of those Jackie Chan movies and I hated all those mm-hmm. so hmm. so I'd like to think that you know um, I've found this little niche that I can just <laughs> do a deep dive nice. into and <laughs> enjoy them all. Well, it's great that like Netflix is kind of tainted. they have it all there too for you. Like it's cool that they can. Yeah, if they would just have magic ninja movies like as a category. <laughs> the, I, you know, and that's a whole other discussion for another day. Netflix's categorization and just organization is really inadequate. Um, and I wish they had. I wish there was just. A, I wish there was tagging. I wish you could create custom tags and basically like Evernote Netflix in a way that makes sense to you, or create your own channel. Um, that's bizarre to me too. I mean, I know the, yeah. the queue has kind of become like a playlist in that regard, but I wish because what I want to see, and this is this, is, I'll, I'll try not to veer off this too far, but like, it's too bad that I can't say, <clears throat> give me, give me a twenty four seven channel based on these things, and then you can just flip on Netflix whenever you want, and it could be midway through something that has <laughs> just like regular TV, and you can stop it and rewind it back to the beginning if you want to see it, you, all the rest, but just catching you in those moments where you're like, what's this, and then you know. Jump back through yeah. it's, it's and anyway that's a whole other discussion. No, I I, I mean as a um, as a veteran of blockbuster video, uh, one of the franchise stores that had the billion different categories. I true. Can, I have totally have such insight on that. <laughs> like, Interesting. What? Having you know wh- wh- when I had to explain to customers like uh, I, I see where you're going, sir, but it's not in thrillers. It's actually in our specific James Bond category. Ah, but see, that was in a time where you could only have one movie in one category. Now you could have a movie with mul- like the the file. Can oh, have yeah, multiple. yeah, sure. Our taxonomy yeah. is as uh, the yeah the digital space has allowed us to to cross tag things like that. Which would be great. So, I wonder if that's just. I yeah. wonder if that is a carryover because they're like and just people who are programming Netflix are like, well, this is how it was. And I, well, I always see Netflix, especially because the the app is what I use most of the time, mm-hmm. and I hate that I can't reshuffle my queue. Oh yeah. In that. Yeah, and so I always see it as based on the original Netflix business of sending the DVDs to your oh, home. Oh, sure. Like they're still in that queue mentality yeah. of you're going to watch them in this order. And I'm like, no, I just these are just bookmarked. Well, you know, they're not in a they're not actually in an order for me. It's not yeah. a queue for me. Yeah. These are just bookmarked. These are things I want to see. It's um, my playlist of, of stuff I want to see. Right, because I can't ever find them if I don't bookmark it. It's weird that and they uh, have – I mean, they clearly have – I mean, they make their entire programming decisions based on data. It's weird that they yeah. haven't gone, oh, this is how people are – they're keeping stuff in their queue for three years at a time because that's like – you know, that's what it, it – maybe we should change it. Like, it's weird that they haven't come to that conclusion yet. It, it's true. I, I assume they're getting there. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, the, the updates kind of roll out um, – you know, there's probably some programmer somewhere who, good. if he listened to this, is like, "You guys have any idea how hard that?" I know. It's like, it's <laughs> <you have> any, <laughs> just move it, just change. He's like, "Oh sure, yeah." It's like we have to. That's a whole We're development. The, we are the the uh, the <laughs> we are our own worst clients or yeah, something. Yeah, like that. yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, you're yeah, easy. We, just we have become our nightmare clients. I guess is what it is. You guys, yeah, yeah, you guys can do it tonight. There. Like, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Whatever you say. Well, I've got I've got, I've got a couple of picks. Some of these are, are carryovers, just like yours from the the Lost episode. But um, it's more apropos now because the comic series, one of the big series I'm reading right now, uh, of course by Image, is a series called The Wicked and the Divine. And Volume Two has just wrapped up, and they're actually putting out the Volume Two trade paperback uh, July second, I believe. And I have not read any of the Volume Two stuff because I, I picked up Volume One when I was in Portland back in April, and I was like, "What is this amazing thing?" And then kind of have kept away from it because I wanted to read volume two in one sitting. But I got so 
anxious when I was in the store two weeks ago. I picked up the, the last issue of volume two and read it and was like, holy shit. And so I really want to see it. It's almost better that I did that because now I know how it's how volume two is going to end. I want to see how the hell we got to that. Like, it's almost like we're going to Tarantino this and figure out how we got to that point. And it's going to be even more exciting when I come back to that again and be like, this is oh God, because it ends on such a crazy cliff note. Um, with characters that I know from Volume One, but to know to, to understand how the hell that even happened is is going to be a, a fun journey to be on. So you 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 are Harry from when Harry met Sally, who always read the end of the novel. <laughs> <laughs> like you you saw the first episode of Daredevil and then you just skipped to the end. Yeah, well, <laughs> or you watched a couple and then you skipped to the end. You left out all the middle parts and you're like, I can't wait to see what happens because the end. I don't the do that all the time. I don't do that all okay. the time. I do that only when either a in the case of Daredevil, I'm like, do I want to invest? Because if it involves binging yeah. or involves a big chunk of like this is ten hours of my life. Am I going to yeah. be disappointed? This, like, I'm so paranoid after Lost. I'm like, does this make you know? So I'm like, okay. And then now, well, now the journey of getting there is going to be, be going to be fun. And, now, and and knowing too, like as you're watching that journey, you're like, oh god, this is where we're headed, and this oh, this is going to lead to that. And, and it almost makes it better for me in some ways. And then if it's not that, it's I just get super duper anxious because I'm like, well, I don't want to I don't want to go buy every issue. I want the vol- I want the TP. But I really want to yeah. know what's going on, so I'll jump in, and I don't. I do it sparingly, but when I do, it's every once in a while. It, it, every once in a while, I'll do it, and I'll get burned because then, I'm, then it just removes the. You know, there's a twist yeah. at the very end, so I, I'm very careful. I understand, you know, but that's anyway. Well, and that's kind of how I feel about Chew. Like I always, ah. it's it's uh, it's so difficult to wait for the next collected volume, and because one of the volumes it really drove me crazy. Mm, yeah, and it was like. Yeah. And it, and and then after that one, it was like ah, you know. I mean, I'm sure if I'd been reading the single issues, it would have been, I, I would have kept up with it. I would have been like no problem. But after this, I can't remember which volume it was where I thought like ah, the story's kind of off course. I don't like this. I waited a while to pick up the next TPB, but when I did, I was so it was like so rewarding, you know, yeah. because it sort of tied up those ends. And so if I'd snuck ahead, um, you know, I would have it would have reassured me. But it yeah, didn't, so. yeah. It's sometimes a leap of faith. I totally because uh, again, when you're especially a, a trade paperback is essentially binge watching a season of, of shows just a little exactly. shorter. So you don't want to like you're like I don't a I don't want to invest the time if I'm going to be disappointed, and b I don't want to if I love this thing already I don't want to suddenly retroactively have buyers or fan fan remorse if you will for where they're headed. And it's just so it's, it, there's all these kinds of things you want to keep balanced. So it's it's just one of those things. Anyway, go go out and grab it if you're a fan of anything Image. Um, it's a fantastic little fantasy sort of uh, drama uh, around uh, a series of, of teenagers who are basically reincarnated gods. And they, I think we discussed this in one of our last Image fan episodes, yes. but they, they come back to Earth, you know, every, every, I think, is it every 90 years? I, f- I forget all of a sudden. They, uh, they're reincarnated again, and then once they, they, they can be real people who then are, you know, once they manifest as gods, they, they, there's sort of a transformation that occurs, and they're imbued with all the, the memories um, and powers of that god while still sort of remembering their real life, but then once that happens, they have two years to live, and then they die. And so this is, you're dropped into this, the, the latest incarnation, and there's a murder mystery, and you get to kind of see how these gods live out, you know, out in the public, and they're pop stars, so there's some of that element to it. But the murder mystery thing kind of kicks into high gear, and it really starts to it, – it, it's amazing. They're making a TV show out of it too, so it's, it'll be fun to see cool. how they cast it. So definitely grab that. Um, another comic series I'm reading right now also by Image is one called No Mercy. 
And it's, it's super fun because it's, it is this, I, I, I shouldn't even say, I don't even want to say too much. And I wish they didn't telegraph the, there's a twist right in the first issue that happens that they telegraph right on the front cover. And I wish they hadn't because if they hadn't done that, it would have blown me away even more. Um, but even if you're reading it through, it's, it, it, the, the pacing, the drama is amazing. But it's about these kids, these sort of, you know, overprivileged, um, I think it's like late high school, early college kids who are on this bus trip you know, into Mexico to help to do some volunteer work, essentially. And it goes through all the, you know, the, the culture of millennials, um, uh, you know, and just what they, you know, what, you know, what you see. And so a lot of the, a lot of the, the dialogue blurbs are like text messages and tweets and Facebook posts and all this kind of stuff. And then something happens about midway through the first issue that just, takes the whole story in a completely different direction. And all I'm going to say is that these kids have to survive in a major way. And it just goes, it's, it's, it, it goes from this like fun little like, yeah, these kids are going to go and, you know, help build the school or whatever it was that they're going to do. And then all of a sudden it, it changes into something completely different. It's not sci-fi. It's not, it's not, it is purely grounded, real stuff, but it's just so, huh. it's just so, and I love, I mean, the art is cool. It's, it's sort of, it's drawn very storyboard, it's very very episodically, so it feels like you're watching, you're almost like watching a show. So grab that one. They're on issue four now, I believe, of No Mercy. Well, and that's always so interesting when a comic book does real life. Yeah. And not yeah. not superpowers or sci-fi or something like that. Well, I had to make sure I had to go to the because I caught this and I just grabbed it kind of on uh, on the off chance that because it, it just the art looked different and cool and I was like this this might be fun and I kind of flipped through the first few pages I'm like oh this is kind of a different thing they're really they're really trying to show you the you know, millennial communication method here. And then I saw that. Yeah. So I was like, oh, God, I got to keep this. But then I was kind of concerned. I'm like, oh, is there some alien or some demon going to show up? Because that's, that's going to – but it doesn't. It's, it's, it's just very – what would happen if these kids who depended on technology no longer had that anymore? So it's kind of a Lord of the Flies thing going yeah, on. Yeah, Lord of the Flies meets Castaway meets The Hatchet. If you remember reading The Hatchet as a kid. Um, oh, God. No, I didn't. <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, and then my other one, and I, this, is, this is a new one. I just, uh, I, I'd give, a friend gave it to me as a book over Christmas, and I'm a big Kindle fan. So Kindle finally had it for four bucks, and I grabbed the book Ready Player One. And I'm a little late to this because this came out a couple years ago, and everybody else has read it. Um, but I started it last week, powered through it, um, and finished that yesterday, actually, and uh, was, was very, very satisfied. It's, it was given to me as a gift because I love all things 80s, and my friend thought that I would, there, that I would love all the 80s references. I actually, that was the one thing I, that bothered me the most, was, <laughs> was all the heavy, I mean, it was so overbearingly heavy-handed in all the references that eventually I just had to start fast-forwarding through, once I kind of got into the rhythm of how long it takes him to, you know, ramble on and on and on about how much he loves movies and things. I kind of just started fast forwarding through because it really stood in the way of the story at, at one point. And then eventually sure. after about the, I would say once, once he got three fourths of the way through like the last fourth of the book. Um, and I, and it's fun. Kindle, Kindle always gives you, you can look at page numbers, but I always use the percentage thing. So once I hit 70, 75%, uh, the rest of the book was like pu- almost pure story and was incredibly satisfying. Um, so what's the basic, plot of it how does it how does it take place in the 80s so you haven't read it correct no okay so it's it's future and i've i'm i'm only aware of it in that i've seen the title appear and sort of you know from sort of geek blogs and stuff well they are make they've greenlit the movie spielberg is directing it and it's the licensing implications i can't even imagine warner brothers is probably gonna spend two years just on that alone but it's actually it's a future dystopian book so it takes place about 10 15 i think 15 or 20 years from now uh oil has ran out 
and society is kind of, you know, pre-Mad Max kind of starting to sort of collapse. Um, there's a lot of strife and stuff. And in the middle of this, it's some, basically around this time, around the mid-20-teens, um, uh, virtual reality has become really, really, really good. And we're, it's weird because you know, what Microsoft is doing with their VR stuff and what Oculus is kind of trying to do too, like we're almost there now. But they, there's this company that kind of e- emerges, like a very Apple-esque company that builds this thing called the Oasis, which is this, this uh, re- uh, uh, virtual reality platform, if you will, that you can create worlds on and characters and stuff. So for, over the course of 15 or 20 years, this Oasis has existed and has become like this global obsession. So as it, you, what people do on their phones and on the internet now, everybody will do in this virtual world then. Um, it's kind of like, it's kind of the ultimate realization of what Second Life wanted to be, but just was way, 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 way too ahead of its time. Like the technology and just the immersive kind of stuff wasn't there yet. So this shows you like virtual worlds and ultra high def photorealism. There are like things like haptic suits and gloves that give you like a really good sense of being there. People invest in these giant rigs that, you know, help them like even like walk around in three dimensions and stuff. So it drops you on this character um, named Wade, who is this this high school kid who, um, you know, his mom and dad died and he's living with his aunt in this trailer park and they stack all the trailers on top of each other into these towers um, to save space because the, you know everybody's moving everybody's migrating into the cities for work because it's just, you just can't travel or drive around as efficiently as you used to um, and this whole thing kind of kicks off when one of the original founders like the Steve Jobs of this of the company who created the Oasis passes away and reveals that he has hid an Easter egg in the Oasis and whoever finds that Easter egg will get his entire, he will, he will will them his entire fortune, his entire control of the company and basically the deeds to the Oasis. Um, okay. All, and so like it, beca- it's, it kicks off this whole global manhunt for this Easter egg, which is very expertly hidden. That goes on for about four or five years and everybody kind of just gets bored with it and gives up because nobody has found, there, there are three keys that you have to find. Nobody's found anything and kind of the novelty's worn off. So it drops you into the story right at that time where this kid kind of gives huh. you like some, some exposition right away. And then he's going to high school and there's like, you know, there's a whole planet in the virtual world that's like just the high school planet with just copies of these high schools everywhere. Um, and then shortly, you know, I would say maybe a, a third, uh, fourth of the way in, he discovers the first key. And all of a sudden the entire world's like, holy crap, this does it. Because everybody kind of th- kind of thought it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a hoax and there wasn't, you know, or it was just so impossible that no one would ever solve it. He finds the first key and then everybody comes out of the woodwork and you find out there's this corporation who's, who also wants to do it. And they're, you know, they might, you know, they're trying to kill him and, you know, trying to find anybody who can help them do it. And it becomes this big kind of geeky thing. But along the way, the guy, uh, uh, the guy who hid the Easter egg, like the, you know, the, one of the original uh, uh, creators of the Oasis is he made the whole thing about his life and his obsessions and what he what he loved because he was a teenager in the 80s is is 80s stuff late okay. 70s 80s stuff so the whole thing is ba- so everybody who wants to go find the key like there's there's like an entire subculture of people who you know who who devote their time and, and hobbies and just their lives to finding the finding the Easter egg and finding the keys and everything. So they have to immerse themselves in in the lore of, of this co-founder. And you know they have to watch all the movies for clues and listen to all the music. And by extension, they themselves become obsessed with all this stuff. So this kid Wade 
every like two pages he's like i went and found my acdc album circa 1978 and listened to the and like he'll go to like the writer or the author will go to such an extent to like describe in vivid detail like you know scenes from buckaroo banzai and back to the future that are it, it's amusing at first but then it just gets really really tedious <laughs> and like you're sitting here like watching this, like you're listening to him describe an escape scene. He's like, and I ran down the stairs and I jumped down to the street and then I pulled out my, and he, and he spends another three pages explaining like why, you know, why the, the band Rush is so cool. And I'm like, I don't need to like, oh God. And then it got really bad for me at one point in the book, like they, um, you know, more people end up finding keys and they kind of become big celebrities. So they, they all go to this dance and the, and way by that point, you know, he's, he's got, he's made enough money to like afford, you know, virtual goods in this world are expensive and are, and actually the, the company that invented the Oasis makes all their money from everybody, you know, trading and buying in the, the virtual stuff. Um, and so <laughs> well, he bought in, in app purchases. Exactly. Oh, it's like that taken <laughs> to its absolute extreme. And so he, he rolls up on this dance in the virtual world in his DeLorean, which is also part Ghostbusters car, part kit from Knight Rider, part Buckaroo Banzai car. I'm just like, okay, enough, dude. I get it. I, I get you love the 80s. I, I get it. And so you kind of have to huh. – I mean, other people might be less forgiving or more forgiving than I am, but I eventually decided to start fast-forwarding through a lot of that reference stuff just to get to the story, which right. was really compelling. Um, and there were some really cool moments. It ends – I mean, it, it ends kind of predictably, but really, really satisfying. Um, if, you're, if you're a geek at all or if you have any kind of love for, for – Video games or just any kind of thing. If you were, you know, if you're a child of the '80s at all, definitely pick this up. And I would say pick it up before the movie comes out because I there are certain things I don't see how they're going to be able to do. They're either going to have to cut it in the movie or or consolidate it quite a bit to make it fit. Um, so the book's going to give you kind of that wider swath of of, of good story stuff. Um, but it's just it's just really oh, it's just really fun. I buy one of those books. I haven't powered through a book that fast in a while, so that was kind of satisfying too. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And I and I found out uh, when you know when I googled it uh, that this is the guy that wrote Fanboys. Oh, the movie. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, um, and also learned that he announced after ten months after it was uh, after Ready Player One was published. That there was an elaborately hidden Easter egg in the book, oh, Jesus, <laughs> and they gave away a DeLorean to the person who found it and completed an '80s video game quest. Oh my God, that really happened. Well, when you see <laughs> when you see how elaborate, so that's such a like, but that's such a great like tie t- tying together of all the like gamification of this, the, you know, all the levels of gaming in this book. That's, that makes sense, though. I'm not really surprised, cool. but when you see in the story how freaking elaborate and ridiculous the quest for this Easter egg is. I can't even imagine what the, the, the book itself's Easter egg was because it's just oh like, and, and, and you're sitting here going, because you know, you're trying to, you know, the way characters sort of your avatar and you know, you're a reader's sure. avatar into this world. But as you're going, you're, and you know, a lot of times when that happens, you're like, how would I, you know, when, when confronted with the same choices, how would I react or what would I do? And you kind of like feel like you're connected to that character. Well, there's a point where Wade just gets so freaking geeky with it. You're like, you're just kind of sitting there watching him going, I would never, I would just give up at this point. I can't, <laughs> I can't handle this. <laughs> like, like <laughs> it's, so at that point you become me playing video games <laughs> yeah probably i'm just like ah, whatever man i just i have to sit here and... yeah where's the walkthrough let me look this up online. yeah yeah because it's just like i don't i would never be i get why this kid is a, as obsessed as he is but i just don't have time like, I don't, oh god it's like me skipping all the elvish and lord of the rings and the hobbit yeah yeah no <laughs> so, they so sing a song i'm just paging through it yeah so why so would i read this instead of that imagine now 
that, that this character has not only read that, you know, enjoys reading that, but has read it so many times he has every single word memorized and then every alternate language version of that thing memorized so he could rattle off Elvish in 10 different variations. It's like, I don't, dude, just stop. Like, I don't have time for this. But, uh, you know, in, in such a way that that relates so much to, like, geek culture. That's and that, true. And, yeah. uh, you know, especially one of our favorite topics, Game of Thrones, and uh, which we'll get into a little bit later. But that that idea of, like, where you can just rattle all that off and... I don't know. That's you know one of the totally creepy aspects of American Psycho, the book, which is in the movie a, a bit, where he just you know he'll just go on like a ten-page explanation of Huey Lewis and the News's See, <laughs> new record. See, but I, you know what though, that uh, I, I, yeah. Well, it's meant to demonstrate like what a psychopath and how out of touch this guy. Well, I had is. I had a different Whereas reaction. in Ready Player One, it's meant to sort of you know, draw you in and go, yeah, I, I, I get that guy. <laughs> I love, I, I love, so the, so Brady Sinellis, I love his podcast and I love, I just like that story. I, I, first time I saw that movie, I was kind of like, wait a second. Cause in high school I was a huge, and I still like them, but I was a huge Huey Lewis and Phil Collins fan. So I'm just like, when he did Huey Lewis, I'm like, oh man. And then like when he did Phil Collins, I'm like, man, like <laughs> that would be, I, I, if I was in that dude's apartment, I'd be like, hell yeah. Like, I'd be like all about it. <laughs> Turn it up, man. <laughs> Instead <laughs> of like, <laughs> you know, fearing for my death, I'd be like, heck yeah. Like, let's talk about this. I, I might even win him over. Like, <laughs> you would have been, been the one that like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You befriend him. <laughs> he takes the poncho off, puts the axe back in the closet. He sits down. He's he just like, rock out to sports. He's like, you finally, <laughs> you're the first person to understand me. I'm like, yeah, man. It, <sighs> of course. Of course. Then we just listen to sports and smoke weed the rest of the night. Like, yeah. Yeah, then like the, Man. those stories ended. Like I convinced him to like you know repent his ways, <laughs> change his ways. Yeah, yeah. It'd be amazing. And then we, and then Wait, the end tried, of it's us like at a Phil Collins concert, like bouncing like to the studio, like yeah, like and the credits just start rolling. <laughs> like, I love this. I love this alternate American Psycho <laughs> version that we've come up with. It'd be um, amazing. Uh, let's cut well, it. Well, that is a great punctuation mark for the candy roller coaster. Yes, absolutely. Cool. So that leads us to this week's feature presentation yes um which is funny because so last week i think i think i think it was on last week's show where you just said let's put a moratorium on talking about game of thrones (laughs) (laughs) because we were recording it at like 5 p.m on a sunday or something yeah the finale was about to come on i have not been watching it um uh partly for the reason you described just now in the uh when you were talking about wicked and divine how you read you read ahead and you said it's ever since lost I don't, you know, I don't want to like hold out till the fin- the final, you know, season yeah. and then have an unsatisfying <clears throat> ending. And I think that's kind of how I'm feeling with Game of Thrones. Like they just kind of lost my trust mm-hmm. this season. And I, um, I, I do feel like, well, when they get to that point, whenever it is that Daenerys, well, however it happens, when those dragons, you know, head to Westeros or whatever, I'll be back in it. Okay, <laughs> sure. But until then, I'm kind of like just, you know keeping my distance so you might be waiting see. a while <laughs> based on what the oh, finale God. was you I might know. be waiting quite a while i i'm really curious uh where they take it from here because i was just i think the finale you do you know anything about the finale did anybody st- i know all sorts of stuff about the finale so just go for it okay because <laughs> i'm not gonna re- I'm not, I, don't have to, I don't have to review it it was a a super collection i mean it was crazy because it's you could tell they're like oh crap we got to Oh, we set up a lot of stuff, didn't we? All right, here's this. Now here's this. Now here's this. And it was just kind of like the super collection of scenes uh, that were satisfying, but also really confusing. And at the end of the day, huh. set up way more like 
what's going to happen now? Then, then like, I la- remember last season's finale uh, episode felt very conclusive. It almost felt like it could have just ended the series in a lot of ways. I mean, not really, but there was a lot that they ended. Um, you know, uh, Arya basically abandons yeah. the Hound and goes off to Bravos, and all these things kind of happen that are like, okay, and Sansa comes walking down the, the steps, you know, in the Eerie with her little, like, bad girl dress on, and, you know, all this stuff kind of happens. It felt very like, okay, we can, you know, the story can pause here. Yeah. In this finale, it was very the opposite, where it's like, what the hell? What ha- What? What happened there? What? And it just kind of kept, I mean. Well, basically, every, every character's storyline ended on a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we can't not talk about it. Let's just, you know, Jon Snow gets stabbed. Yes, which is something <laughs> that happens in the books, which I knew was coming. Um, okay, so that's the thing. You, you'd alluded to this several weeks ago, yeah. that you knew some things that were going to come. I was, and I, I didn't think it would happen this season. Really? But once the, um, once the hard home happened, it was like, oh, uh, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I mean, it, you know, I give Game of Thrones a lot of grief for um, now how we expect the unexpected, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, it, but it's true that for two seasons, maybe even three, we could argue, you knew that the ninth episode was going to be crazy. The Ned's head. You know. Yeah, that was that was always the Ned's head episode. You know, it was the Red Wedding was in the ninth episode. Uh, the battle for uh, Blackwater Bay was in the ninth episode. It was like that's the big one. Yep. And they definitely have shaken, sh- shaken that up the last two years. Yep. So, yep. Um, which is good to know. I mean, so you knew that was coming. Yes. Did you realize in that scene? Well, like when you were watching it, did you realize like, oh, that's about to happen? Um, I did. Well. Because I knew it would probably be different than it was in the books. Long ago, I Wikipedia a good chunk of the books because just uh, we were in between seasons. I'm like, what, what's going to happen? I, and I was more curious too, like, like what did the books lay out? Because I knew they had started to cut characters and things. So I'm like, what are we sure. missing? So I came across that and then all the fan theories involving that and everything. So I knew it was coming, and I'm like, it's got to happen. I honestly thought it would probably happen in episode nine and not ten. Because of, oh. I, and I thought if it happens in nine, then maybe they end se- they they end the season with the the answer of what happens to John. Like, is he really dead? Does Mel- <laughs> does Mel- the Melisandre do something to him? Like, I thought that oh, would be poor, the cliffhanger. Poor you. <laughs> yeah, well, and so it's like so so that it happened. I thought the way they did it in the show made made more sense than the way it happened in the books. Um, because they've been building okay. and escalating this whole like Night's Watch is not very happy with Jon Snow thing. His, even his little his little manservant Ollie's been like just giving him the evil eye, the stink eye for a while. So yeah. when Ollie ends up being the one spoilers that that like you know betrayed basically is his is his Judas so to speak, and you know, brings him out to 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 be to be killed. Like that was the that was kind of the moment. Where I'm like oh, as soon as he walked out, there, I'm like oh man. But and so it's just shot really well, um, executed really well. You know, pun intended. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was cool. What I did not expect, and what was a total just, there were two big things that were total like what? One, and this is not a book thing, so there's no way to see this coming. Theon and Sansa decide to uh, just jump off the freaking uh, uh, Winterfell uh, wall to what looks like certain doom. Um, right. You know, and, and especially because we had in episode one, season one, freaking Bran fall off a similar height and everybody thought he might have died and he lost his le- the use of his legs. So I'm like, here they are. And they, they made it a, a point to show you, like, the, the camera kind of panned up the wall. You're like, look how high they are. And oh, by the way, we just pushed somebody else off the wall like two seconds ago and she's she 
completely died. So even though these guys are jumping into huh. what looks like snow, um, you know, it's probably not going to end well for them. And Sansa just made this whole point about saying, if I'm going to die, if, if this is just going to keep getting shitty for me, I'm going to at least go out on my own terms. So it was kind of like one of those moments of like, well, here we go, Reek. And that, it, I mean, by all accounts, they probably died. I mean, they, uh, I'm sure they didn't, but like it left you basically thinking, oh, well, they, they jumped to their death. I don't know how else this could end. Well, what a terrible end to Sansa's story. Exactly. Like she doesn't get exactly. to exact any revenge on any of her captors or tormentors. Uh, other than a, other than I, I'm taking myself out Miranda of the equation. Or whatever. Uh-huh. Or, yeah, yeah. Ugh. You know. Um, so if that if that ends up being true, I might quit watching the show because it'll just be like I don't know what. I mean, I I they left it they they left it in one of those ways where like you didn't see them land. You didn't you know they kind of yeah. they jumped past the camera and the camera just kind of stayed where it was and you never heard like anything else. So it by all accounts they're still alive. There's gonna be some wackadoo explanation for how they how they survived. Or what happened to them? Um, sure, you know, and it, it, it might even be such that one, both of them broke a leg or something, and they get hauled back into the castle for more torture, and then it's going to be just even worse. You had one more point. Uh, I don't know if it was about Sansa or just the episode in general. But yeah, so 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 Sansa and Theon were a reek rather, or, or kind of my one sort of WTF moment. My other one, which isn't as obvious, and the one I kind of bitched about on Facebook was this whole season, and you may have dropped out for some of this, but this whole season they've been, Peter Baelish has been kind of going behind the scenes, and he was summoned to King's Landing after he yes. you know, hooked Sans up with the Boltons, and Cersei's like, you better go take care of both, you know, uh, you know Stannis is coming and the Boltons are acting out, like, go back, take care of both of them. And he's like, oh, I'm going to, I'll go back to the Erie and bring my army, and we'll, you know, basically promising to, to put a rest to all that. Um, and secure Sansa for her, even though I'm sure that's not what he really wanted to do. So I had every every notion that what we're going to see is Stannis go to attack, going to attack Winterfell. You know the Boltons kind of rallying their troops, and then all of a sudden, like freaking Theoden and the, the Riders of <laughs> Rohan, uh, you know the, the the soldiers of the Vale were going to come storming down and just wipe both of them out and take Winterfell and and install Sansa as the wardeness of the North. And that would be like the moment you're like, holy crap, this, even though Sansa went through a bunch of bullshit, she's, she's got a whole region now to govern. And now it's on right. her. You know, I was so convinced even to the point where they showed Stannis, they showed his, you know, what remained of his army after most of them abandoned him after his batshit crazy burning of his daughter. Like they showed him rallying his men together and then they're like, I don't think we're going to have a chance to do this after all. And they show in the distance all these the massive amount of guys on horses coming towards them. I'm like, oh, it's them. It's <laughs> it, it, was, it was the Boltons. And I'm like, okay. And then they never, that little finger wasn't mentioned once. The veil never showed up. They're, I don't know where they are. And I was just kind of like, really? After all that, like it would have been incredibly satisfying or even interesting. And more importantly, it would have it satisfied the story thread you set up for Baelish for that to happen, and yeah. and it would and it would have given all the people who were so fed up slash sad slash frustrated by what happened to Sansa some closure and that okay she's got some she's got some something to do now that's not just be tortured you know like she's right. got some vindication finally none of that happened at all so I was just kind of like okay and that really sort of I was so think I was so expecting that. Um, that to not have it happen was just, it was really kind of a big letdown. And then I read your blog post. I'm kind of like, yeah, man, maybe. <laughs> well, the, the blog post you're referencing is, um, uh, I, and I, I swear I'm really not trying to troll. This was just kind <laughs> of the, the 
culmination of yeah. the thoughts I'd had over the six episodes I, I watched and then the you know uh, comments for coming from talking to you and, and my girlfriend and everything that had filtered in and I um, pardon me and I read so I read this uh, article on the verge um, by A.D. Robertson called Game of Thrones became its own worst enemy and I need to let it go mm-hmm. and I went yeah and it kind of I kind of synthesized all that and I thought and I think we've I think we've brought this up Maybe we didn't bring it up in the podcast before, but I I find myself with this question of like, well, is Game of Thrones actually any good, or <laughs> is it, you know, is it like a I, I like a horror movie mm. where people are addicted to the kind of adrenaline rush of surprises, mm-hmm. um, and I I guess what's so you know, part of it is, is me trying to examine, like, Jesus Christ, I, I've spent so many hours, you know, in, invested in this in this show, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't fanboy like that, yeah, you know? Yeah. So it's it's weird to me that I, you know, I, I kind of resisted it. Um, when my friend Meg told me to read the books, uh, she was reading the first one, and she said, you, you're, you'll enjoy it. And I was like, ah, I don't really like, you know, I haven't read fantasy literature in a while that I've liked. Um and she said, no, it's different, you know, and I, I gave it a chance and got hooked. And, and uh, so after reading uh, A.D. Robertson's article and agreeing with this, you know, she describes like a similar thing about reading the books and getting all invested in them and then finding out that really what she's invested in is not the story, but the lore, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and she calls herself a lore hound. Did she, wait, know. did she get the uh, World of Ice and Fire book then that is basically I just that? I don't know if uh, this writer did, but my friend Meg does have world of ice and fire um so i mean we've talked about that when we when i had like separate book discussions uh on my blog you know meg and i would it was basically just the two of us commenting back and forth and um so she definitely has that and uh you know but that that to me is like such a perfect example of um uh i i guess the the argument i make is um that some of these things that uh that happen in the um <laughs> how do I want to describe this it's when I get upset about contradictions between the show and the books it's a lot of times it's because it's like no 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 that's the lore you know that's the history mm-hmm. of it um mm-hmm. and then the other thing is uh from those books because there are so many just hundreds of thousands of pages of like you know of different stories in between the cliffhangers in the books that you lose the story and you, and you realize like, I'm just reading lore. Mm -hmm. All I'm reading is like history. That's occasionally exciting, but it doesn't really have a narrative because George Martin keeps, you know, setting up a cliffhanger and then not resolving it for hundreds of pages or even in that book. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like how Theon just disappears. I think in book two, he didn't show up until like book, five or something and you're like by that time you're like who cares yeah like i'm not even you know as uh the other uh you know really insightful critic i i cite in my blog post is the hulk um <laughs> in in the guise of film crit hulk who is uh i don't, I don't know who it is but it's a guy who writes in all caps in the voice of the hulk and he made some great great points after he read book five and um uh, you know, that's basically it. Like, I mean, that, that Theon, he makes this Theon point, which is just absolutely on point. By the time Theon shows back up in the books, because it's they've waste, waited so long, because Martin has, there's no us or them or whatever. Um, 
you you don't even care that yeah. you screwed the Starks over because yeah. at that point the red wedding's already happened. You know, Sansa's already married Tyrion, I guess. At that point, it's like, dude, we are so far away from this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's much weird worse too. things have happened to the Starks. From what now. I understand, too, in the books, like, and, and instead of just kind of cutting that cord loose, he'll double down when you've come back to that character again and introduce like a slew of new characters related to them. It's like, oh no, no, here's why they're still important. It's which like, is that? I mean, which is the Reek story exactly? It's yeah. like you know, all of a sudden he shows up in these chapters called Reek, and you're going, who is this? And then it's you know, there's like layers of reek like at uh, one point that's right because they don't reveal was, it right away in the books do they right right it does, the, the chapters aren't called theon anymore they're just called reek and so it, you know it takes you a minute to figure out like oh that's that's theon yeah um and it's uh so my my general argument is like when the um when the show follows those cues from the books it's it's just getting us lost you yeah. know and especially after hearing the reactions um Unfortunately, you know, I was kind of writing this, I guess, maybe bef- maybe I was writing it before, maybe I'd kind of put some of this together before that f- finale episode. So when that happened, some of these points that the Hulk makes about, you know, the most, fr- he even says that it, TV shows, when the when there's a, a cliffhanger week to week, it always, it works, mm-hmm. but it's infuriating when it's the last episode of yeah, the season, you yeah. know? And, um, I don't mind one or two, by the way. I don't mind. I don't mind a exactly. cliffhanger that's like, ooh. But as long as it's not, you know, something that that requires immediate closure. Because when you come back to that again in the next season, you're you want to know, but it's the the so much time has like a year has passed, so it loses its immediacy and it loses its punch unless it's more of a generalized cliffhanger, like you know, um, like Daenerys rising out of the of the fire. You know, with dragons around here, right. that's a good cliffhanger. Because you're a like, hook. you don't, you're like, clearly there's gonna be more story involving this, but holy shit, like, how, why? Like, that's that's, and I guess that's not really a cliff. I mean, it is kind of a cliffhanger, um, and that you know what's gonna happen now, but it's not so necessary that it requires an immediate. Yeah, I feel like everything we saw last week was, or you know, when it, during the finale was cliffhangers that require pretty immediate follow up. Like, I don't. It's just gonna be weird to come back a year and be like, oh, that's right, that happened, and you're. You just won't have that sense of needing to. It, it's like be, it's like you know. I, I'm trying to think of a good. I'm not going to have a good analogy for this, but it's like you know. It's like hearing, getting a text message from a loved one. I've been shot, but I'm okay, maybe. And then you don't hear back from. You don't hear back from, and a year goes by, and then you see them again. And you're just like, hey, what? Did you you got shot, right? And they're like, yeah, I got. No, it was fine. And you're like, oh, it, it, so you're curious, but it's just sort of like. That oh that happened that's right it just it it messes with your head in that way where you you, you don't know, your expectations aren't you know quite aligned. Um, do you think though, going back to your blog post and just your thoughts on this, do you think the weaknesses of this season and probably from the looks of the casting of next season, uh, more or less this more of the same, uh, do you think that the weaknesses are because books four and five were also so sort of disjointed and meandering and just not focused? Well, I wonder too. Um, so, I mean, when you think about it, uh, oh God, another another time I should have had this information um, uh, right in front of me. Because you know, let me let me tell, let me tell you this: the way they're casting next season, I, what what we all assumed was just a jettisoning of the Greyjoy storyline. Looks like it's going to happen next season now, with, with the uh, Theon's uncle and all of that. Like, Jesus. I don't I don't know how or why that's it's going to be as as boring Man. and plotting as the. Um, the the uh, as the books are as the, well as the Dorn storyline, which I'm like we could have done without that. Clearly, like, we don't need that, you know any of these things. Well, I, you honestly, 
and I love when we do this because we have like an idea of what we're going to talk about. And then you just made me think of a whole slew of new stuff, <laughs> which is like, think about it. So one of the things I pointed out in the blog post where I, you know, I was just rambling at this point was uh, they, we, we heard when everyone got into Game of Thrones, we all heard the, the legend of like, well, George Martin had been approached many times over the years about making this into you know, movies mm -hmm. or a movie or mm -hmm. something. And he just kept saying, you're not going to, you know, the whole point is this, this vast world and this long legend and you're not, it's not going to work in a movie. Yeah. And when, you know, Benny and Weiss came to him with the series pitch and they were clear, like readers who, you know, knew some stuff, like they'd figured out some, you know, the parentage of Jon Snow and stuff like that. And he, you know, it was like he could trust them with this long thing. So in my, in my blog post, I kind of went, well, let me fantasize for a second about this being three movies, you know, and I, I, I just, I loved getting into that and thinking like, oh, it'd be so badass if it's like, you know, there are three movies that are tied together by the overarching story of, you know, fire and ice, yeah, uh, the winter coming and the dragons restoring magic to the world, but also um, the three movies are kind of separated, like the the first one only takes place in Westeros, and we never see, Ooh, you know, yeah. Essos, and we never see Danny walking through the desert and all that crap. And then, the, you know, it's only in the second one that you meet Daenerys, and it's like, oh, holy crap, you know? Um, so anyway, I was just kind of fanboying at that point and thinking that. Anyway, my point being, if we think of that history, when Benioff and Weiss came on and, you know, started shooting, Martin would have been pretty far into writing book five. Yes, uh, Especially true. because book four and five were written at the same time and then split, well, were started. They... <laughs> God, I don't even know what's well. The truth five is. came out, but, so they so this well the events take place concurrently. Sure, sure. And when book four came out, uh, Martin told everyone like it may even be in the preface to the book where he was like, "This was a, this one was a pain in the ass," and uh, I had to split it into two books. So book four is kind of like the characters that we all hate. Yeah, you know, because he split it into sort of areas of of the world, you know. Um, and then book five catches up with those events, you know, like takes place concurrently and then moves beyond them. But anyway, Dance with Dragons came out the same year that season one came out. So it's possible that Benioff and Weiss thought, um, well, you know, we're going to have, maybe they thought like, oh, by the time we get to season four, he's going to be almost done with the next one. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's maybe it's, it's possible to think like, I mean, may maybe he he did have some grand outline and he, he gave it to them and that's what four and five are based on. But I'm it's beginning to, I mean, well, I'm but maybe, miss, maybe they just realized like we're, we're literally out of source material. I'm going mean, to throw this at you because there was, there was this rumored, you know, mythology, uh, you know, mythic meeting that he explained the entire storyline to them and that sure. they know there's a, there's a plan and they're going to get to the same destination and all that. I, I think that, I think that's total horseshit. I think there, I mean, there was a meeting, <laughs> But I think I it's, it. it's total horseshit in that, that there is a plan because there have been several times now where media has, has come to George Martin and they're like, okay, man, the books are starting to do stuff different and, and this happened and it didn't happen in your book. And he's, he has said many times, he has even threatened, he's like, well, I'll just have to do it this way so that people don't know what to expect. He, he's, you know, instead of adhering to a plan of any kind, he's just kind of spite writing at this point. Um, you know, just like, just, a well, I, I have heard him make that, that comment. And, and also then like, you know, whether it's in a different interview or something followed up with, he, you know, sort of like, he understands the, the problem with that. At least I, you know, at least from what I read, mm. it seems like he, yeah. you know, he goes, well, 
I, I want to do that so it's unexpected, but I also realize like I shouldn't change things just because yeah, people but, have guessed but who John's parents are. Here, and know? that's and that's that's something that will stick. But just the events and who he kills off and who he li- like who lives. You right. Know, there's probably yeah. three characters like if it, if it's Tyrion, Daenerys, and Jon Snow that live at the end, and that's set in stone. That's fine. But there could be like an entire like the the show could you know make Peter Baelish king of Westeros, and he could just be like. Peter's dead, you know, in the very next episode, you know, the very yeah. next book. Like, that could just be a whole... And, and I'm thinking, like, he's... I feel like he's almost inspired to do this just because everybody now... Like, he went he went from a, a world of fans who are like, when's the next book coming out? You know, you better... It better happen soon. Like, you know, basically putting him in a misery situation, a Stephen King's misery, <laughs> misery box, if you will, um, to now all of a sudden that plus everybody going, hey, on the show... This happened, and then the show. This they're doing this yeah. on the show. I can almost see him going. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to do it this way, just so that he doesn't feel even more trapped by this. It's either going to be that, or he's just going to stop. He's going to be like, you know what? This is the last book, and I'll, I'm going to wait 20 years before I do anything else. I can't. Oh my god! You know, I feel like I feel like we're in this weird situation now where the show is still trying. I honestly, I think a lot of the stuff people are complaining about in this last season of the show is is stuff that was clearly in the books. Um, you know, plotting storyline or just things. You know, a lot of yeah. people, as soon as Jon Snow bit the dust, are like, what? What? And I'm like, that's a book thing. Like, that, it, that's clearly yeah. a loyal book thing that they, and a lot of that stuff in the, in the finale was very much, you know, Arya getting blinded and all this kind of stuff is book stuff um, yeah. that people didn't like. So now, the, the, now Benioff and Weiss are in this weird conundrum where they have to, and especially because HBO is breathing down their necks going, hey, man, we, you know, you guys said seven, but we want 10 seasons. And I think, oh really? Yeah. I hadn't heard that news. And there's talks now that they have negotiated it will season seven will be an AMC kind of a thing where they split it into two, so oh, it might be Jesus you know, season Don't season seven part that. A, no. season seven part B. <laughs> so it's technically Sorry, really that's just two seasons. Yeah, really season <laughs> eight, you know, seven and eight. So they're they're doing that while they have to you know figure out they're probably going to stall if they're going to bring in the Greyjoys in next season. They're probably stalling to let George to, to let Grimm put out his. The next book is either close to done, so they're they're in this weird spot where they're like, well, we have to still take the useless book stuff that no one likes and invent our own stuff, which nobody likes anymore. And I, eh, I really wonder if we're in this. I I might I, I'll be really curious to see what the what the you know quote unquote ratings are for season six's premiere in general. Um, you know, will fans like you in the in the time off are fans like you going to rationalize your way back into watching the show full time? Or are you just I don't gonna, think I'm ever going to care about it. Um, whatever, like they're going to, something would radically have to change for me to give a shit about watching on Sunday nights mm-hmm. again, because I'm just, what, like I'm just sick of the of watching something on Sunday night that frustrates me so much, mm-hmm. and that being the ritual. Yeah, you know? yeah. it's like it's like it's over, and then I sit there for the rest of the evening going like. Well, damn it! I got I got to watch like four episodes of Parks and Recreation just to get that out of my head. <laughs> I and love feel how that's okay the cleansing, about the, the world. P- cleansing of the palate, like the comfort food of the of yeah, television. Yeah, exactly. Let's watch Chris um, Pratt bonk around and, <laughs> and be and be crazy. But but I mean that's uh, I I don't you know I I just don't even know I don't get that like I don't feel that uh, people abandon it and I'll, it's funny because a lot of the stuff that I read, a lot of the grief except for the Mary Sue. Props to them um, for sticking their guns and just not covering it. 
But a lot of the grief I read about after the Sansa episode where people were like, I'm just sick of this, you know, from professional writers covering the show mm-hmm. and, and explaining like this is a terrible, you know, device for, you know, women or however, whatever your feelings are on that. Like all these people griefing about it. But those are still the professionals that get paid to like continue writing about yeah, the show. So yeah. I kept seeing their reviews every week, you know, so it felt very much to me like I was alone in just turning it off. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, um, You know, everyone around me was still watching it. So I I just, I don't really think that that's a movement to stop watching it. And, um, you know, I was aware when I wrote that blog post last week, like, well, you know, as part of my motivation, like I'm trying to (laughs) get people to stop watching it with me (laughs) so that I, you know, like we can talk about something else on Sunday nights. Um, Yeah. So, so I don't know, but I think what, you know, so part of my frustration is I've put all this time in, but the other big part is what we all knew, which is that opening scene of the first book and the first show. Like there was, there was a giant emergency happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like there is a climate change cataclysm coming. <laughs> you know, it wakes the dead, and uh, and they're just on the warpath. Well, and that's like, why episode eight was so flipping amazing because it was yeah. it was it was that little box of episode 1 book 1 scene, you know, scene 1 it was that little box opened up to an entire like freaking 20 minute version of that and i think it's it i hope i really hope that they learned from that and learned from like just the pure fan reaction of that scene and go okay we've got to start giving them more of this because this is the, this is really the story that people i mean i have I've, yeah that exactly that's what people want to see cuz we that's the that's the big plot yeah. you know like and i you know if i wanted to start like rambling about it there's ton i mean that is one of the things that bugs me so much about the first avengers movie is that the battle at the end is so huge and destructive and same thing with man of steel, honestly. And it's like, you know, but actually what was interesting to us were, were the characters and stuff. And then you've kind of half-assed this battle at the end that really should have been like <laughs> the main, you know, thrust of the plot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it, like, I just hope that game of Thrones isn't just tacking that onto the end. Well, like, you know, what got me, got me really nervous. Um, uh, just in general was the, and I think a lot of book readers too are like, "What?" Because in the books, you were pro- you you haven't seen what happens to Stannis's army yet, um, and it's right. It's, yeah, it's, it's just sort of alluded to. It's hinted at that that Ramsay Bolton, you know, he sends that letter to John, going, "Ah, we got Stannis, ha ha." You know, um, that's why you know that's what causes John to leave to ultimately get stabbed and all that kind of good stuff. Um, in the in the show, like. They that scene I was telling you about where the the you know the riders of Rohan uh, you know start <laughs> start approaching from the other side, and the camera kind of zooms back out and shows like the scale of the battle about to take place, and then it does, and you're like, oh my god, here we go, and I'm not even kidding you, it does a Monty Python like I, I, they should have just had like the freaking co- you remember that scene at the end of Holy Grail where they're they're all like amassing on the hillside ready to go take out the castle and at the final second like a police car shows up and like they arrest Graham Chapman as King Arthur and they take him away and they stop the battle and they're just like let's get let's get this all out of here <laughs> it was basically that and the reason Monty Python did that is because they didn't have the budget to film an all out scale battle right. so it was a really clever funny now now iconic kind of kind of cheat at the end 
Game of Thrones basically did that, and they showed you like this battle about to take place, and then uh, no joke, it jump cuts to the battle is now over, and Stannis is like limping around the battlefield with like maybe a couple extras dead on the ground. <laughs> and I'm like, so so it it happened? Like wh wait what? Like and it was it was very. You're just like kind of. I had to rewind it because I'm like, did I? Did the show, did the player did my app like glitch and jump ahead and I just miss <laughs> like ten minutes of amazing like choreography? No, that's exactly how Dude, it happened. I was just like, really? I was gonna ask you about that. In fact, because I wanted to compare it to one of the most frustrating moments of the series to me, which is uh, whatever damn battle it is that uh, uh, Tyrion's in. Um, uh, when he meets oh, up with Tywin's army yeah. and he literally gets like clonked in the head as they're going off to battle yeah. and then he comes to being dragged through the battlefield full of dead bodies. Yeah. I and it's like, about that. I can't believe you assholes built up <laughs> this huge battle like this. Although, and then although, you just knock him out. Plus it doesn't give him any credit yeah. that he had in the books, which is so frustrating. It, I mean, it's just one of those other things where it's like, man, I know that you, the viewers already like this guy, but turning him into like a comic moment when in the books, you know, he, it was, like it's tough. Yeah. I mean, although I'm gonna be you know, way he's more the he's the half man and he's out there like in a battle fighting people, and uh, I actually I'd, maybe he gets knocked out in the books too because there's a bunch of battles in the books where it just you know it's sort of the chapter opens with the army returning or something and you're like well, what the hell man. I'm gonna be way more forgiving <laughs> we, about that than you because because um, at, having not read that in the books I don't have an attachment to a certain narrative and and the show you are Tyrion right. is your POV character for that moment. And when he gets knocked out, yeah. it makes sense for you not to know what happened because he got knocked out. Now, you could say he got knocked out for stupid reasons, whatever. But you get knocked out. It, it makes logical sense in just the terms of how it's, you know, what you're being presented. With Stannis' thing, Stannis is your POV character. So when he sees this oh, right. giant army coming <laughs> at you, and then all of a sudden it just jump cuts to him. You're like, we didn't get to see our, our POV. We, how did this happen? Like, where did this come from? So it was very, like, if Stannis had gotten knocked out or if he had, you know, if, if a giant wind had blown up and you couldn't see what was going on, or like, I could see maybe it making sense. But it literally cut from him going, ah, to... You know, no, no swords clashing, and he's just like, "Oh, the battle was hard. It, like, it's over now." And I'm like, "What? How? Th th that could have been an entire." And I mean, maybe the maybe the justification was we just ran out of time, we just ran out of money. The hard home episode took all our budget away. Like, yeah. I don't. I mean, whatever it was, then if that's the case, don't even sh don't even tease it. Just sh you know, have it happen completely behind the scenes. We don't even. It's just told. It's just talked about. Um, and I wonder honestly too if that would have been a better cliffhanger. Which is just you see that that shot, and then and then that's the end of that. And you never find out until next season. I would love that. Then the whole I would I want I wonder about that because it, because to, as I understand it, you know, as, as not having watched it, the there's another cliffhanger, which is did Brienne kill him or not? Yes, correct. And it's like, I mean, for God's sakes, that doesn't that doesn't have to be a cliffhanger. No, not at I don't all. understand why that of all the deaths in the series. I mean. And and honestly, that see that's one of those other problems of we now expect the unexpected so much so that like the Hulk put it, we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. And George Martin and now the showrunners are just uh, this. I'm again quoting the Hulk, taking a proverbial dump on the concept of drama. Yeah. Like there's no build up to it, and it's like all these cliffhangers, the Arya blindness. Who believes that? Who yeah, believes that yeah. she is totally blind for the rest of the series? Oh, clearly. I mean, yeah, I just yeah. feel like that's like nobody could even. We don't even believe the bad things that happen because it's like, eh, 
you know. No, unless it actually, unless it happens, on, as, as many people are prone to say, is unless it, unless it happens on camera, unless we see Stannis' head yeah. get chopped off, which, know. you know, that was firmly implanted in the DNA of the show when Ned Stark exactly. was beheaded in front of everybody. It's like, this happens now. Let's, let's kind of... Re- and reiterated later when Arya meets the Brotherhood Without Banners True. and she asks Thoros of Mir if he can bring back her father and he says, like, it's a problem because he doesn't have a head anymore. <laughs> You know, and it's like, oh, so you kind of get it. Like if the, you know, like there there are limits to this resurrection power. So if we saw Brienne actually chop Stannis's head off, then you know, like, well, Melisandre can't bring him back. Yeah. But they've left us with all these cliffhangers, like where no one believes Arya's dead. No one knows if Stannis is dead or Arya's blind. And no one believes that Jon is dead. Yeah. I mean, that, that just seems to be the prevailing sentiment is that like, oh, they're just, it's a fake out. Well, and John being, de- I mean, John's resurrection could be any number of things. Obviously as the fan theories will have us believe he could be warged into ghost. He could be, uh, Azura high. He could be, yeah. And, and, and my, actually one of the theories, the lesser, uh, love theories that I actually like is that he'll, he'll be some kind of white Walker human hybrid and be able to, <laughs> Basically control like you control the white uh, the you know the whites um, yeah and that that could be cool too. Let's start to kind of put a pin in this though because I think what this yeah. is all leading to, for me is is and this se- this season has kind of and, and especially this last episode have really sort of in my head got, it made me start to think, are we going to get to a point where very much like Lost, our expectations now for this massive battle between Dragon and you know like it's all headed towards the wall. And, you know, are we going to get to this point where the, the, what, what that ends up being is so underwhelming or is built up for so long that it just, it's never, no matter what they do, it's never going to satisfy. And they're just completely effed either way. Is that where we're headed? Have they, com- well, have they set themselves up for, you know, the biggest letdown ever? I wonder. I mean, there's definitely been like a, a kind of a, a personality you know, disorder going on in the show mm-hmm. where I think, you know, for a couple of seasons, the political intrigue was so much more interesting to viewers than the the coming disaster of winter, yeah. you know? Um, and and now it's sort of like flip-flopped where, uh, yeah, I just don't know, you know, I, I still don't get that, like, the show is, <laughs> is but, I, you know, it's not like the show totally flipped and now they're presenting, like, the the big buildup of, of, you know, Fire and Ice. I, I can be totally wrong. Maybe Fire and Ice is like Peter Baelish, you know, <laughs> finally getting that like, you know, clerk position at Howlin' Reed's castle or something. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea. Like, it'd be so stupid. Yeah. And yeah. and I'm the idiot that's like, no, no, of course it's the winter coming down and the dragons are going to be the only thing that fights it. Um, I just, I just don't know. I don't, I don't, I guess that's the other thing is I don't, parts of the show are just so well done and so tonally consistent but when you start adding up the overall narrative that we thought was headed in, you know we thought that the the big thing was winter is coming and and we're just not you know i mean i hate <laughs> to say it, but that might i mean if this had been last year i'd be like oh you're crazy that they're clearly that's where they're headed at now i'm right. kind of like i don't know man it may it may not be that i'll tell you what, the only thing it, it the, the one thing that will completely satisfy me and probably everybody else and and completely write this ship forevermore is if the Ned's head episode of either next season, preferably next season or season seven, if, if there's going to be a season seven, part one and part two, um, God, please don't do that. HBO. If the Ned's head episode <laughs> is the freaking Knights King has the, the horn of winter and the whole wall falls down. 
And then it's yeah. like, holy shit. Now, you know, if, if, that, if, the, if the Ned's Head episode is the entire wall starts to collapse because the entire White Walker, I mean, if the entire Whites and White Walker army is, is assembled, you know, it's millions, you know, millions of, of, of you know, dead people strong, and they show up, and you're like, because think about this. We already saw the, the battle between the Night's Watch and the, and the Wildlings, which is pretty epic, pretty well, well done. You can't get yeah. much more epic. I mean, we can't just see that again. Uh, with a bunch of yeah. you know you know white you know whites you know zombies trying to climb the wall and fall down and like the only way for that to be more interesting dramatically is if they just get rid of the wall and there has been that long rumored if you if you go to message boards or if you're a reader of the book like you'll you'll know what the horn of winter is or rumored to be and if that ends up being a thing and that tears down the wall or a good chunk of it and they just start pouring through then everything. Everything we've seen up to this point, it, it starts to make sense because in all the political intrigue, all that stuff, none of it matters anymore because it's it, it basically everyone in Westeros is having to band together to face this off. Yeah, and that would be amazing. And I mean, it, it, you know, some of that stuff is cool. Like, yeah, it's, it's great that the Boltons are going to be the ones that, like, eat it first. <laughs> I hope so, but man, after, <laughs> you know, but, after this, um, like, they may... <sighs> They may be the you know you, you you stay a villain long enough in, in in popular fiction and you eventually become the hero. Just ask the Raptors in Jurassic Park. You know it's like if you're if you're around long enough and just kind of hang in there, you'll eventually be the be the ones to save the day. And it's like and vice versa. Just ask Ethan Hunt. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's hope. <laughs> Ooh, that's a button. Let's button that up. Yes, yes. <laughs> Roll credits. Exactly. <laughs> Man, um, that's cool. We, uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll have more to go back to with Game of Thrones. Oh, I'm sure. Um, this has turned into an epic <laughs> George Martin-worthy episode. <laughs> I don't even listen to the real like Game of Thrones podcast, but I guess you know people fill up hours on oh, this. Oh, I can't every imagine. Week. I can't imagine. I'm sure George, and I'm sure George R. R. Martin's just like, God damn it! Like I can't, I can't, I don't envy him in any way, shape, or form. No wonder he hasn't finished yet because he's just like he probably gets in these little grooves where he he's like, yeah, this is making. And then he'll he'll inadvertently or purposely hear like this podcast and be like, God damn it! And then just like get discouraged and. Oh my God! I know. Watch movies. He, I mean, yeah, he shouldn't. Yeah, he please, pays please. attention to fan stuff, so that's that's why I'm concerned. Like I, he he goes to message boards and he goes to cons, and people are, you know, people are coming up to him all the time, going, "What happens if you die?" And he's like, "Fuck you!" Like I, I'm yeah. I'm doing my best. This is hard. Like you know, I don't. Well, <laughs> I mean, just while we did this podcast, Stephen King has written a book as long well, as George R. Martin. There Martin's. you go. There there is that. <laughs> that dude is that dude is prolific. Neil Gaiman, too, man. Neil Gaiman's on his... I went to Neil Gaiman's yeah, website no for the first time in, like, uh, four or five months, thinking that it would more or less be the same. That dude's put out another book in that time. I'm like, God, what? W- weren't you just promoting this other book, and now there's another... I wish I was that prolific. Anyway, um, speaking of being prolific, you got a blog. You want to promote it? Sure. Go to heytade.com, which is uh, where we post these episodes. We also post them on SoundCloud. And what I keep forgetting to mention every week is if you go to heytade.com, please uh, go down to the bottom of any page and subscribe to my weekly email recap, yes. which would be really cool. Um, and then you don't even have to like listen to me throughout the week or check in with the blog. You'll just get a nice email on Friday morning. It'll tell you what you missed. It'll have a link to this podcast, and you can listen from there. I can personally and I'm on say Twitter it's an awesome email. At heytade. At hey well, thank you. Yeah, it's fan. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. It, it is a. It is. I hate to say this, but it is a great time saver. Um, so that you can read. No, it. I like. I, I'm approaching the blog as though it is a mini magazine that I put together every week. 
Yeah. And there's just one thing per day, hopefully. And so it's, you know, it's like, that's helped me out. It's like, you know, on I, my, my week kind of runs like Saturday to, um, wait, is that right? Saturday to Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Friday the email goes out and it wraps up those seven posts and it's like, okay, on to the next one. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, at Taylor Trask on Twitter, T-A-Y-L-O-R-T-R-A-S-K. And uh, that's really much – that's kind of the only thing I promote from right now. I've got a business and stuff, but I, 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 I would rather interact with you all on Twitter. It's fun. So find me there. Cool. And uh, yeah. I guess until next yeah, time. I love the Twitter. All right. That sounds good. Now we, and we have a week to think of whatever next week's episode will be. <laughs> I would like to. We should jump in next time and, and do our. I, I'm anxious to do this Lord of the Rings Hobbit uh, thing because we have such, as we've established before, we have such different frameworks from which to discuss that. That that could be. I mean, I'm intensely curious about your thoughts on things. Yeah, that'll be cool, and it'll give us a break from the Game of Thrones stuff. So I like the moratorium on Game of Thrones. <laughs> until next year, Game of Thrones, we'll we'll close the book on the Game of Thrones. Yes, and until next week, we are Todd A. And Taylor Trask. All right. On the Todd and Taylor show. <laughs> the Todd and Taylor show. We'll have that theme song any week now. Exactly. All right. Bye-bye.